I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic muscle, we give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. Welcome back, welcome back. Before we get to today's show, I have a real quick favor to ask of you. And I've been asking of it for quite a number of episodes now. If you've been enjoying the Masonic Muscle Podcast, I'd really appreciate it. If you took one minute to give me a review on either iTunes or Spotify, it helps me out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member, but especially the brethren. If you're a brother, the brethren, the craft you think would get something out of it. Word of mouth is the primary way Masonic Muscle grows and spreads. So please share, text a friend, send out an email, however you communicate, tell them to check it out. And remember, uh, we can communicate in the dark as well as in the light or something like that, right? And uh, thank you for your continued support. And now on to the show. Before I get started, I'd like to share with you an email. Let me bring it up here. I was just telling Matt about this, and I showed it to him, and he gave me a great idea. This email, this email is from Jamie Sterrett. He sent it in, in on February 8th, and he says this. He says, Brother Rubio. What the hell are you doing? I have to adjust my mic here. Oh. Sorry about that, guys. Okay, he says, Brother Rubio, I have been an avid listener of your podcast for some time and have thoroughly enjoyed every episode. I have been working in, in quarries of my lodge for several years in order to begin to adapt the culture to one of quality in all things. Yes. Yes. Because it's Freemasonry is refinement in everything we do. Okay, moving on. This, as you well know, can be a daunting task. I do well know that. How about you, uh, Matt? You know that too? This is, well, Freemasonry is work. So we do know that this is a daunting task. Listening to your podcast has provided me with consistent motivation, reassurance, and encouragement. Since you have helped me so much, it would be my pleasure to send you a small token of my appreciation would you be willing to provide a mailing address? If not, that's okay. It is my sincerest intention to express my deepest gratitude for your efforts in creating the Masonic Muscle content. Thank you. No, thank you. Worshipful Jamie Sterrett, uh, Sterrett. Out of Temple Lodge number 70, Ancient Free and Accepted Masons, Grand Lodge of, Testi of Texas, District 6. 
Deep right in on. the heart of Texas, the stars shine bright all through the night. Deep in the heart of Texas. Brother, thank you so much, but I got something for you. I want you to come on the show, and I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this daunting task you're talking about, and you're in the quarries. It sounds like you're getting your hands dirty. You actually have your apron on. And you're actually using your tools, your working tools. So I want to have you on. Get back at me. Send me an email. Tell me uh, when your availability is, and uh, we'll get the we'll get to this discussion, and we'll we'll get to the only discussion that matters. Or how do how do you say it, uh, Matt? Uh, the only discussion worth the only conversation worth having. There it is, right there. Bang, bang, bang. All right. <clears throat> Don't think I have forgotten about you, brothers in California. All of you officers of the laws, all of you members who are out there just talking and saying, I want to help. And da, da, da. have you been delving into your uh, ritual, your, your cipher? Have you been studying every night? You know, it only takes 10 minutes a night. That's it. And, and little by little, you begin to see more, you begin to learn more, and you begin to memorize more. Have you been doing it? If not, why not? Have you been digging into the mysterious origins of masonry like we have? We're going to continue to dig into that. Have you been improving your spiritual, moral, and Masonic trestle boards? That's right, brethren. We have three trestle boards, not one. Three. Have you stopped making excuses and begun to improve the level of your fitness one degree at a time? Have you improved the quality of what you eat, of what you think, of what you say? If not, why not? When would now be a good time? All right. So in the, in the last couple of episodes, we've been delving into the theory number one of the origins of Freemasonry, and that was the patriarchs and Matt threw in his like five cents worth or more in the last episode. That was that was great because we got to tie in some things with uh, Graham Hancock and some of these other renegade scholars that have been expounding that civilization is far older than what it is, which would, I believe, extend back the whatever time scale or date that the patriarchs are supposed to have been living, which is 2160 BC, I think it'll extend it back further, way further than that. Today, we're going to begin talking about the second theory of the origins of Freemasonry, according to the 12 theories found in the book, The Royal Cyclopedia of Masonry. And that is that Freemasonry comes from the mysteries of the pagans. The mysteries of the pagans. What do you think? What do you think about when you hear about that, Matt? Oh, this is part and parcel to the first one. Okay. The the pagans were who the Vatican called the survivors of the the antediluvian flood. And those that had that knowledge that they were continuing to try to cr create societies with were deemed pagans. <clears throat> Freemasonry, 
for all of you listening, let, like, let's not forget and let's be real that that the the Vatican brought Christianity to Europe under the sword. Uh, most Europeans didn't want to be Christian. Catholic, they, as a matter of fact, Catholic, or Catholic, 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 yeah, Christian. correct. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I know that <clears throat> at least many of the Celts and the Irish peoples, I can't speak for the whole of Europe, but they actually saw the Abrahamic God as being a, an evil God. So, so those people had to be dealt with, right? They had to be brought under subjugation. Um, and, and that seems to be the case throughout Europe, at least as Christianity was brought into Europe. That was not peaceful uh, ever. Those people took Christianity by the sword. So let's not, let's not be disillusioned um, about that aspect uh, of that, or at least that piece but I think that basically, the anybody that was a was a was a pagan, as far as the Vatican was concerned, they were operating off of a doctrine that was not the Judeo-Christian doctrine. And many of these doctrines may have had well, some of them were of Gnostic origin. Maybe that Gnostic Gnostic origin may have been pre-Diluvian. We don't know. Uh, we uh, even the ideas like the I Ching. Uh, ideas of Taoism, those may be pre-Diluvian, we don't know. Uh, again, because these the, the origins of these texts are just entirely lost to history. We don't, and because we don't know where we are in time, we, we don't even know, I'm not even sure that we even would know how to accurately place something like that in time if you could find the origin of the Tao Te Ching, because in time by whose calendar? Whose would we be talking about? Would be Judeo-Christian so, time? So we're back Hin to Hindu what time? time is it? So now we're back to what time? Like, what, what, is the, what is the golden mean of time? What's the GMT, right? Such that we could actually begin to start to build a conversation where we can structure all of these different events, fit all of these calendars in it such that all of these events would be congruent uh, throughout all of these calendars. And I don't even know if that's even possible. Oh, no. A, a daunting task, I'm sure. But Oh, well, uh, yeah. So let's go back. Let's rewind a little bit to the word pagan. Now, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, the pagan, uh, the word pagan is defined as, and I mentioned it, and I read it off in a previous episode, so I'm going to leave it up to you guys to go back and, and listen to it and tell me if I'm right or wrong. But they say that it, it, it is the people that like the hill people or the, the people who just haven't been converted to Catholicism. They were pagan or heathens. Right. So they just, they, they re, either through refusing or the Catholic Church just hasn't made their way out there to try and convert them and then convert them. Those were the pagans or pagani or paganos. Now, let me read something to you to help us with this, uh, uh, the, with this theory number two, that the origins of Freemasonry come from the mysteries of the pagans. And I'm going to read from The Pocket History of Freemasonry by Fred L. Pick and G. Norman Knight. This book came out in 1953, and these two... Brethren were, I believe, both members 
of the Ars Coronati Research Lodge, the most prestigious lodge in the world, according to them. I don't know if that's true or not. And this is what they say, and this is right off the bat, chapter one, so bear with me. It says, an immense amount of ingenuity has been expended on the exploration of possible origins of Freemasonry, a good deal of which is now fairly generally admitted to have been wasted. This is 1953. In a system fundamentally ethical, which makes a wide use of symbolism in its manner of imparting instruction, it would be surprising if there were not many points of contact with the variety of religions, old and new, in addition to the classical mysteries, booyah, and even ancient Chinese philosophy, ancient Chinese secret, in which, for example, the square is known to have been employed as an illustration or emblem of morality. Many of the doctrines or tenets inculcated in Freemasonry belong to the vast traditions of humanity of all ages and all parts of the world. Nevertheless, not only has no convincing evidence yet been brought forward to prove the lineal descent of our craft from any ancient organization which is known to have or even suspected of having taught any similar system of morality, but also from what we know of the craft, in the few centuries prior to the formation of the first Grand Lodge in 1717, it is excessively unlikely that there was any such parentage. Indeed, it can be very plausibly argued that a great deal of the symbolism which we find in the craft today is actually a comparatively modern feature and that some was not introduced until after the beginning of the 18th, 18th century. Then it says this. It it says that you can break it down into like three sections. First one is Druids, Coldies, and Rosicrucians. The second, the Essenes and the Ancient Mysteries. There it is. And third, the Collegia Traveling Architects and the Comachine Masters. Uh, fourth, the Steinmetzen of Germany. And the fifth, the the Compagnon of France, and there it is. But we're talking about the mysteries, right? The mysteries. So let's see what it says about the Essenes and the mysteries. Next must come the esoteric moral system of the past, such as that of the Essenes who flourished from an early date in Hebrew history until well into our era, the ancient mysteries of Egypt and Greece and the Mithraic cult. These undoubtedly taught morality through symbolism, used elaborate rituals, and inculcated such doctrines as that of the immortality of the soul. Here we do in some cases know rather more regarding their tenets and practices, but the differences are more pronounced than the resemblances, and the latter are in such details as might well have developed quite independently in widely separated places or ages. The Catholic Encyclopedia now goes on to say that the, that the mysteries include the mysteries of the Egyptians, the Dionysiac, Eleusinian, Mithraic, and Druidic mysteries, 
and sects and schools such as the Pythagoreans, Essenes, Coldy, Zoroastrians, and Mandians. So you have mystery schools all around the world. And you know what, Matt? This reminds me, this reminds me of uh, when I was younger. I read quite a number of books that began to talk about the mysteries. I, didn't, I had no idea what, what they were talking about. But this one particular book that really impacted me for a long time was a book put out by the Rosicrucian, Amwark Rosicrucian, out of uh, San Jose. Now, And the book that they put out was The Mystical Life of Jesus. And in that book, it was saying that Jesus... Uh, was trained and educated in different parts of the world. And when he was 12 years old, that he traveled 12 or 13 with the Magi who came back to uh, pick him up because he was ready, he, he was of age and he was ready to travel the world and begin to learn from the masters. The first, the first place they stopped was in India, in the temple of Jagannath, I believe. And, and there he learned to... Uh, uh, yoga, he learned meditation, he learned the, the breathing techniques of the yogi, and everything else that uh, the yogic uh, you know, uh, system and science taught. Then from there, they ran off, in, not ran off, but they traveled into uh, Tibet to learn to meditate and... Um, uh, the chants and well, everything. Our, uh, our, uh, our late brother Michael Bajent spoke on this in in many of his works that uh, about the missing eighteen years. So okay, that's what that, I was getting the, at. The the, mixing, the, yeah. the collegiate the collegiate circuit, according to Michael Bajent, mm -hmm. uh, the collegiate circuit of the ancient world. Uh, uh, it, it was Egypt, Greece, and Tibet. Those were the the three stations where you would go and and you would. Uh, for a time, you would be um, instructed. Uh, you would be instructed by those those certain mystery schools, and I think that that in in Tibet, it was like the mastery of the self, right? In in Greece, it was the mastery of the mind through philosophy. Uh, through in in Tibet, it was the mastery of the the physical self, and and the Egyptian mystery schools seem to be very tied up in geometry and death and and the afterlife and and resurrection uh, resurrection things of that nature uh eternal life uh things of that nature so uh, you know maybe so so what would have been taught in egypt would have been uh, i i so, guess I, ideas more along uh, the, but those guys were also master herbalists too, so they were probably taking some really great. Uh, what's that mushroom? Amanita muscaria uh, mushroom trips uh, out in the desert. And the Egyptians. Uh, well, and, remember Graham Hancock said that it was actually that lily, that lily plant that uh, they they created. They they used that to create the same effect that you're talking about with that plant. And even they said that even the acacia tree, whatever was in it, was also had some uh, uh, psychedelic properties, which is highly important to Freemasonry, the acacia tree, the acacia leaf, you know, all, all this stuff. But let me get back. So, so the book said that he traveled, once he traveled to Tibet, he traveled back down to uh, Persia, uh, into Greece, 
And then finally, his schooling culminated in Egypt because in Egypt, all the schools, uh, schools of thought, were were taught because from Egypt it, it emanated the the emissaries emanated back out into the world, and this is how they kept. Uh, well, and contact. from what we know, Egypt had the Hall of Records underneath the paws of the Sphinx. Well, the, and the and well, the, not only that, the, but just Alexandria. Yep. I mean, from what we know, there was no other. Greece didn't have anything like that. Tibet didn't have anything like that that we know of. Everybody knew that it, they didn't it, have Egypt an archive. Was the it was place. the center, the, yeah. the center of light, which is Heliopolis, right? The right. city of the sun, the light. Yeah. So, and then Persepolis later on in, in in Persia. So, there's another book out there though that kind of uh, it, it, it complements that book that I mentioned, and it's called the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus the Christ, and supposedly. This book was written uh, with the guy that was under trance, like uh, Edgar Casey, mm. and but it went into more detail than what the book that I just described now, where it talks about stories and and it talks about what happened when Jesus went to India and how he taught and how they ran him out of there because the the rishis were were threatened by Jesus and his power and, and his knowledge and and they knew who he was but they wanted him out of there. And then when he went to uh, Persia, how he learned from the Magi is to use his second body and, and appear in two places at once. And all this fantastic, I mean, it, it's, it is incredible, the story. But what really caught my attention was when he went to Egypt. And, and the Rosicrucian book, too, Amark, uh, written by H. Spencer Lewis, does describe it. But, but the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ goes into further detail, says what happened when he got there. Uh, to Egypt, how he was welcome, how he was given his own quarters, how he was given access to to uh, scrolls and uh, other ancient uh, knowledge and how to read certain hieroglyphs so he can know the whole story up until that point so that he can get go into his final phase of his initiation into that knowledge. And it, it happened inside the pyramid. This is nothing new. Uh, Plato and Socrates, I believe, and these guys talk about this ex experience going into the Great Pyramid to go to your final initiation. And you go in, in there for three days and three nights where, you know, the high priest would give... It, it, right, so it this would sounds, not have been unique to... to no. Jesus, no. to the to the Christos. That, that's just the one that we know. Yes, yes. That's just the story that we know. But this would have yes. been a... And these uh, are the mystery uh, uh, schools. This would have been a regiment. It had, had you ascended it was to a, a certain right? Had you ascended to a certain station, yeah. then your brethren would have initiated you into these the hierophant. Into the yes, the hierophant and his <clears throat> and, and his lodge officers would have prepared the way and gotten everything ready for that particular degree yeah, on the on a very specific day of the year. At a very specific time, prepared with certain clothes, you couldn't, you know, do this, you couldn't do that. They had this down to a science. They had oh yeah, it's not like it, and it wasn't like no, when you got off work and and when uh, <laughs> it wasn't when uh, yeah, right. when Survivor went off, you know, and it was off air and all that. No, no, it no. was when that star rose over the horizon and we had Venus at juxtaposition here. That's when the initiation. That's when it. That's when it begins. Yes, and it could, and it wasn't just like 
every year at the same time. No, it, this was uh, cyclical, and it was uh, a very specific time, and these guys knew it. So, again, the pagan mystery schools, you're talking about now, you're going to go back even further than, than the original, than the, than the first origin theory, which was the uh, we're, we're going patriarchs. Into, we're going into prehistory. It was the patriarchs, right? Yeah. Now we're talking about even further. Because how could they have known all of that and had that kind of detail, have that kind of knowledge, and have that kind of uh, acumen? Because they had, you know, when supposedly when, when Jesus or who, whatever his name was, we don't know, um, when he went to India, uh, the, the main teacher's name over there, the master teacher over there was Udraka. And Udraka taught him herbs, herbology, uh, how to combine them and to cure the body, like basically perform miracles. But it was not really a miracle. They knew they knew this medicinal, you know, characteristics and properties. So to them, it wasn't, all... a mir- it wasn't a miracle. It was a method. No, no. And supposedly mm-hmm. Udraka taught him how to heal with his hands. So, so what they're saying is that, that Jesus learned these things along the way. Well, yeah, the, the, the healing by the laying on of hands. Yeah. and the, Yes. The, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. And then uh, when, when he went to Persepolis with the Magi in, in uh, Persia, that, uh, you know, with, what, what were there? The Chaldean, the Chaldean Magi, uh, the Chaldean, or however you pronounce it, that, that at that point he learned how to uh, communicate through the mind across telepathy yeah and, yeah yeah so the, all the and then with the uh with the 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 philosophers of greece you know that they, they were so profound and and logical that now he learned how to logically do these things and perform these things and they loved them so much that they that every time uh, jesus would sit at the feet every day at the feet of whoever the master lecturer was but they were so enamored with Jesus that as soon as that teacher was done giving the lecture, they, they wanted him to get up and speak and, and lecture them because they knew they were in the presence of the master. Of greatness. Yeah. yeah, of the master. They didn't want him to leave. Like, they begged him. According to these stories, guys, you know, come on. You read, your, you read your book, The Aquarian Gospel of Jesus the Christ, and you'll read it for yourself so you can... You can uh, understand what some of these mysteries well, check were. Check this out. Okay. I had a, an acupuncturist I, I was working with uh, years ago, but she, she was Japanese. And she told me that in northern Japan, there is a region in northern Japan, and they're all devout Christian up there. And if you go up there and you talk to them, they will swear that Jesus was there. Jesus visited northern japan and he brought he brought the knowledge right he, yeah. he brought christian knowledge in, in northern japan yeah and this christian sect there in northern japan uh they continue to to attest to that so whether or not that's true or not yeah. i i have no idea but uh it, it does seem to be that this guy jesus he did get around a bit he did travel it does definitely seem to be that he did travel his life wasn't isolated just around the mediterranean it, it well there's 17 years that, missing of, of his life yeah. i mean you, you can see that if you study in the bible if you read it you're going to see that he at 13 
from 33 or whatever it was. 13 to 30 yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah, all of a sudden, you know, he, he appears in, at 30 years. And we're I'm just telling you, we're just sharing with you what, what's out there and what you can read yourself. We're not telling you to believe this, but we're what we're talking about, though, to come back to focus is the the pagan mysteries and that Freemasonry has its origin in the pagan mysteries. And there's an awesome book, awesome book. I've mentioned it several times in the podcast, but it's Wilmhurst, W.L. Mm. Wilmhurst, and the meaning of Masonry, where he talks about the mysteries and Freemasonry. Go and get this book. Read it. Yeah, it's written in, in, a, in a way... Uh, that we're not used to today because I think it came out in the 1920s or 1930s or maybe even before that. And it's written in such a way that it's going to be difficult at first. But when you read it, you're like, wow. And where did he get his stuff? And why is he saying that the that Freemasonry has its origin and its parallels in the mystery schools? <clears throat> and is that so bad? What What are we saying here? All I know is that you know, people come to Freemasonry to learn something, something profound, not to uh, learn how to do pancake breakfasts or uh, car washes or on Sundays or car washes on Sundays. They're, they're not there for that. <clears throat> they want to learn something different. They want to be a part of something that's going to elevate them, that's going to challenge them, that's going to excel, you know, uh, well, make them I, excel. I, I came to Freemasonry for meat and potatoes. What kind, though? Uh, uh, what kind of meat and potatoes? <laughs> well, the intellectual kind. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. different. Intellectual, though. like... Yeah. I think I, I, I came into Freemasonry looking for a bone to chew on, and I, I definitely got one. Uh, I, I definitely got one. I got a couple of them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. More you than... Got, you got more than one. And... Yeah. And and I think that this this... Uh, true with any of this type of endeavor whether it be ancient civilization freemasonry you know you enter into this endeavor with a couple of questions and with every answer you find you're just left with more questions and and so i guess all that we're really left with at the end is we're just pressing forward looking um trying to distill the data, to, uh, the information, uh, you know, to get down to the truth and the heart of the matter or to try to get some truth, some confirmation of truth somewhere so that, so that we know ultimately, you know, hopefully that, we were, that we're looking in the, right, in the right direction. And our history is so obscure, it's, it may be impossible to know. Um, at this point there's i think and in, in, in closing here because we've been going we've been going pretty good for 30 minutes i hope we've been providing value for you guys but there there is something to be said about information and knowledge and we've seen it over and over again the greatest example is the burning of the library of alexandria two times not just once it's been destroyed twice and we have this tantalizing uh, reports of what was in these libraries. I mean, now we have no way of confirming it. 
Oh, many consider it like the, the, the loss of the Library of and Alexandria is one of the greatest tragedies of, of human history because all, all of the knowledge, it's, it's assumed yeah. that all of yeah. the knowledge of the ancient world was housed there. But what about the Mayans? You know, they had vast libraries also they that, did. The that the Spaniards burned. They did. And, and so we lost And they all had of their that. mystery schools. Yeah. They had, they had their version of mystery schools from what I understand. So these yeah. mystery schools are not just confined There's to... There's nothing new under yeah. the sun. <laughs> so my point about that is, is this, that there are secret libraries out there in the world today. And there are, there are books, documents, and information that we just don't have access to. One of them being the most famous one, the Vatican. The Vatican has a library that not everybody has access to. And a lot of it is, you know... There, there are books and there are manuscripts that haven't been translated that nobody even knows what they are. You know, they just, they're just down there. The Vatican knows that they're down there, but they're not going to let you down there because of the value and the, uh, you know, just how old they are. There's got to be a specific And you can't way. be just any old douchebag that knows how to read Greek or Aramaic. No. you got you got to have some kind of a pedigree. you got to have some yeah. kind of a come from a university. Yeah. And, and you probably have to have politics that are in alignment with theirs and the whole the whole you got to be the whole yeah. package deal so th there are secret but, there are secret libraries is what i'm getting at that's that's one that's a secret library but not so much because we know about it the library of alexander i mean the uh, vatican uh, a library and the archives but there are others don't you think that there are people that are wealthy supremely healthy that are just out there collecting books and keeping them oh, in well, their no, own the, archives the, the prose edda that that came out of a personal archive, the uh, the Codex Orlinda, you know, in the '90s. That came out of a personal archive that was a, a massive uh, insight into the the tribes in in Europe. Yeah, I started the, reading the, that. That's that's pretty interesting. What's amazing about the Codex Orlinda is how easy it is to read for being such an old document, and it's a transcribed document. Mm -hmm. It was transcribed in 1300 from an older document that was like, you know, 800, Years something older. like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was ended up being transcribed, but it's, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's a surprisingly easy read for as, as old as it is, was the first thing that, that caught my interest. Cause usually stuff that that's old, that, that is that old is you really have to slow down when you read it. It's, mm. it's, it, it's a, it's kind of a chunk to work with. You kind of have to work through it, like you you gnaw on it, you know, mm. like like a like a soup bone or something like that. But so, but yeah, so all of those those came out of of personal. Those came out of personal archives uh, over in Europe and in England. Um, th these ancient texts that, that shed a lot of light on uh, what was going on in Europe at that time. So who knows how much more of that stuff is out there that we just don't know. Uh, and like Caesar was saying with the, 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 and Michael Bajent, the late Michael Bajent talked about this, uh, in some of his works that the, 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 the Vatican has so much material and even some of these colleges around the world, they have so much archived material they just don't have people to go in there and actually read it and determine what that document actually is. So these scrolls, we have no idea what they are, 
they just sit there, you know, in an archive somewhere, I don't know, in a box or whatever, maybe a hermetically sealed case or something to, to stop the decay. But there's just, there essentially is, uh, what I got from kind of Michael Bajan is there's actually not enough academic researchers out there to actually go through the volumes of material that we actually have and actually vet out what that stuff actually is. That, that I think has always been the case. And if you have unscrupulous people out there, they're going to take advantage of that fact. And so they're going to continue to hoard this information and this knowledge. And that may be why the Vatican is so guarded is just, uh, you know, again, you get factions, you get factions in there. And as soon as factions get knowledge, they want to try and work an angle, work uh, yeah. some kind of an angle on it. According, according to that. So, Going, you know, going back and, and finalizing this this episode, we're talking about the second theory of the origins of Freemasonry, which is supposedly that it comes from the pagan mysteries, pagan mysteries being all around the world, and and we we've gone through all kinds of these nooks and crannies in these uh, in this thirty seven minutes that that we've been recording, and as you can see, it, it takes you all kinds of different ways. And all kinds of different topics and angles. But what we're talking about is that people and genius have been all around the world. And they created a system. And for whatever reason, it was, it, it's been labeled the mysteries or mystery schools. Meaning something of value. Something so important that you had to get initiated into this school. First of all, you had to be vetted. It, it, you know, I think in the Pythagorean school, uh, it was uh, one or two years that you you stood out. You could never see Pythagoras talk. You could not say a word. That was your test. You could not say a word. Shut the hell up. Because I don't. Uh, maybe they were trying to figure figure out or find who can actually shut up. Because once you shut up. You start to listen and you start to observe with your eyes, right? And if you pass that test, then you can go in and uh, begin your, your training. And then you could see Pythagoras, but only in shadow. Like there would be this curtain and then you would see a shadow and he would teach you. He would teach the candidates or whoever they were. So this has always existed, this mystery school concept, vetting people. Well, we still have that even in the trades today. Okay. You have, an, like, for, I know, uh, 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 framers, carpenters, uh, electricians, masons, they still have apprentices. Yeah, yeah. They have journeymen, right? And then they have their the master, right? So even, in a sense, even our trades, still even exists. today, they still have the three degrees, uh, of the, of the trades even so we we still see this model persisting uh, and existing and thriving even still today through through the trade craft uh, that we can see around around the world that's that's still evident yeah it's still going on today and so today was part one of the origins uh, theory uh, second origin theory and that is that Freemasonry derives from the pagan mysteries so with that uh, i will ask matt jackson final thoughts final words 
final words. I mean, this one to me is is a very akin to the first one that it comes from the patriarchs because we're dealing with pre-diluvian, and I, I think the 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 pagans they didn't just come up with this on their own, you know, sitting around a a, a fire like it came from somewhere there's the the body of knowledge it's it's too much it's too vast at least if we're talking about it in the in the scope of like the body of masonic knowledge if that's what's being passed right from from generation to generation among the pagans that there's that is such a volume of knowledge there that it had to have come from somewhere else so even with the pagan traditions you know i'm I would uh, almost lean more towards now we're dealing with this, the uh, Atlantean hypothesis again, that, that, that we're dealing with an Atlantean hypothesis as the origin of, of our civilization, that we're the, we're the last vestiges, the remnants, the remnants or the descent, the descendants of that. So that, that's what I would, I would uh, bring in close. I, I just see the, for the, the the patriarchs and the pagans, they're they're just so for me in my mind they're so closely knit. The area and the period that we're talking about, they're so closely knit. They could be even one in the same and and part and parcel uh, uh, to the same. And, and so maybe, maybe the patriarchs gave it, you know, to the pagans, right? And that's all it takes to bridge that. To well, bridge that gap. Uh, what you're what, what you're uh, are referring to is something that had been observed when these twelve theories of the origins of Freemasonry were posted, <clears throat> and it was this. After the twelfth one, it says this enumeration is, however, misleading, for it implies that in one of these various theories, the true origin of Freemasonry may be found. In reality, modern Freemasonry is a dual system a blend of two distinct traditions of operative masonry, that is to say the actual art of building, and a speculative theory on the great truths of life and death. As a well-known Freemason, the Count Goblet, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that name, has expressed it, speculative masonry, that is to say the dual system we now know as Freemasonry, is the legitimate offspring of a fruitful union between the professional guild of medieval masons and of a secret group of philosophical adepts. The first, having furnished the form, and the second, the spirit. And then others say that in the 12 theories, they're actually all one and the same. That they're all, they, they you know, they intermesh somehow some way which we will explore as we go on with the number two and number three and number four well, the, number the reality five. of our of masonic origin is it's going to be far less romantic and is going to be far more pragmatic uh mm. it's probably not going to be particularly mm. uh inspiring no you know once if if it actually ever could be identified you know, but I don't think it's Knights Templar or anything like that. I mean, we're dealing with something that's that's just, at least for me in my mind, mm. at this point, obviously far older than any of that. So if if, it, if anything at all, maybe the Knights Templars modeled themselves after 
after that structure. So, um, yeah, so I, I've always had kind of a little bit of an issue trying to, trying to bridge uh, and, and connect Freemasonry as a derivative of, of, of uh, the Knights Templar. I know many people do, and I'm, and I'm familiar with the arguments, but for me personally, if we're, if we're talking about this craft, again, our most ancient documents date almost from the period of the Crusades. Yes. And those documents say that this is antediluvian. So even at the time of the Crusades, those documents are saying that Freemasonry is hap- ha- came from the time before recorded history is what they're saying, what they were saying at that time. So I think to me that that's kind of some evidence that, you know, we need to look back farther that, you know, that, that maybe Masonry is not a derivative of the Knights Templar, but the Knights Templar it's, it's, it's inverse. The Knights Templar were a derivative of the model of, Mm. of, of Freemasonry that existed because it's antediluvian. So, and then also, you know, because the, the Knights Templar ended up becoming the Swiss banking cartel of Switzerland and the Swiss guard who is now the elite armed, like private army of the the Vatican, like the elite of the elite. As, as I understand it, they're some of the best trained uh, around the Swiss guard. Yes, sir. And, and so that, but, but that whole thing, the night, the Knights Templar, when it got tied into the Swiss banking thing, it, it became its own isolated thing. That's not, that's not Masonic at all. Whatever that thing is, is not Masonic at all. So I I have, I I struggle trying to connect uh, Freemasonry to, to the Knights Templar. To the Knights Templar. Well, I I think, I think maybe it's the inverse that I think I I would, I would feel better about that, that the the Knights Templar modeled themselves after a, 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 a Masonic model, but they were also invested, heavily invested in finance. Maybe they were doing some of that, Babylonian money magic because hey man I mean these are the guys that invented credit so these guys were they were they were practicing usury I mean come on guys uh <laughs> you know and, and this this is actually a this is not Masonic this is uh very counter this would be very counter to to the practice of the craft so so I can't you know I I can't get on board with that with that camp that that uh, that that Freemasonry is is a derivative of the Knights Templar. I think we're too, we're too diametrically opposed. And those to- were Matt Jackson's last words. <laughs> Can you imagine That's if right. I said? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, okay, and I believe he's probably expressing uh, or uh, talking for a lot of guys out there, Masons and non-Masons, trying to figure this this mystery out. But I will ask you this, have you been delving into the mysterious origins of Freemasonry? Because we have, I have, and I think that's where a lot of this is is at. I think that's why we joined Masonry, to try and figure out where this is all coming from. And so here we are now beginning to delve into it. And this is part one of the origin theory that Freemasonry derives from the pagan mysteries. So with that, I will leave you, and you guys better start getting on the ball. What? What do you want to say? 
Live from Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Again, live from TJ with some tequileño. We got some good tequila, guys. We do. Believe me. Yeah, this is this is some primo, primo. And then tacos and all of that. But it's cold. It's damp. It's raining. It's been raining. It, it, we love it. It's been great. But when are you guys going to start getting into it? When are you guys going to jump into breach and try to try to help us figure this out or throw in some information reach out to me at masonic muscle 357 at gmail.com tell me if you've uh, read anything or if you've heard of any uh, uh origin theories of freemasonry and let's see where we can put this at and let's see if we can try to figure out this mystery uh together but we all have the capacity to do it so do it Starting now. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom, and hopefully some good will towards exercising get out there and get your walking in open up your ciphers study memorize and just do it